Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What does Jesus's mission look like here? What's his mission here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What does Jesus's mission look like here? What is Jesus's mission here? How do I know what Jesus's mission is? Well, good morning. Good to see you this morning. And uh, my name is Josh. If you don't know me, one of the pastors here. And uh, just really glad you're with us this morning. Welcome to all of you joining us online as well. Hey, if you haven't packed a shoebox yet, we went uh, shoebox shopping yesterday and uh, got some stuff. Charlie picked out things for his box, and it was, it's a lot of fun. So I encourage you to be a part of that ministry and uh, just such a great, great opportunity. Um, Rich, do you have that open yet? Working on it? No problem. Well, hey, there was a man uh, named John, and uh, he got a parrot for a gift. You ever wish you had a parrot? Maybe, you know, when I was a kid, I wished I had one. Um, well, this parrot, though, had a bad attitude, and he had an even worse vocabulary. See, that's the danger of getting a talking parrot. Uh, see, uh, he, he never really said polite words. Um, John tried to change his attitude by speaking to him with polite words and consistently playing soft music and anything he could think of to clean up this bird's vocabulary. But out of every word, every word, excuse me, out of his mouth was rude, obnoxious, and just, it was awful. It was filthy. Well, finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrot. The parrot yelled back. And they got into this huge argument where finally John grabbed the parrot, his, birds, his, uh, his feathers flapping, his wings flapping, and he threw him in the freezer and slammed the door. And the bird just kept, just laid into him from the freezer until after, a, I don't know, 30, 45 seconds, maybe a couple minutes, it just got dead quiet. And John was, felt good, but then he started to wonder, you know, what did he do? Did he do something to the parrot? Was he hurt? And, uh, wasn't a peep for peep wasn't heard for over a minute and so he 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 opened the door slowly and the parrot calmly stepped out of the freezer onto John's hand and uh, the parrot said this he said i believe i may have offended you with my rude language and actions i'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions and I, I fully intend to do everything i can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior John was shocked. What, what made this change in the parrot? He was just stunned at his new attitude. And right as he was about to ask him why this was, the parrot said, uh, but may I ask one question? What exactly did the turkey do? Well, hey, this morning, we're gonna be talking about uh, repentance. We're gonna be in Acts chapter three. And repentance is about changing our attitude, changing our mind, changing not only those things, but our behavior. It's more than just a mental ascent. It's more than just cleaning up our language or any of those things. It's actually completely turning in the opposite direction. 
And uh, we see Peter uh, call for that to uh, people who have rebelled against God, including us in Acts chapter three. And so we're gonna look at, at what that means and what the Bible says about it this morning. But before we do, let me pray. And then we're gonna be in Acts chapter three today. Glad you're here. Father, thank you for Jesus. And Lord, thank you that you're a God of, of uh, second, third, thousandth chances to, to return to you, to turn back to you. You're incredibly gracious, incredibly kind and slow to anger. And your kindness toward us is meant to lead us to repent, to return to you. Holy Spirit, I pray you'd uh, speak to and through me. And uh, Lord, that you'd speak to all of us today and uh, draw our hearts because of your goodness and your kindness toward you. We pray all of this through Jesus, our Savior. It's in his name we pray, amen. Well, uh, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna just uh, read through the third chapter of the book of Acts. Pastor Dave started us in it a couple weeks ago, but I thought since it'd been a couple weeks, maybe it'd be good just to revisit that story because it, it sets up where we're headed this morning. So if you got your Bible, you got an app, whatever you've got, uh, turn to Acts chapter three. And uh, it begins like this. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Um, this would have been about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. So you got the picture, uh, Peter and John are walking into the temple to worship, to pray. And uh, there's this man at the gate as they walk into the temple courts where uh, he's laid there, he was carried there and he's been lame, he's been paralyzed from birth. Later we read in chapter four that this man was about 40 years old, over 40 years old. So for years he had been brought to the temple and laid there and he's just begging for alms for food, for money, for help from people as they go in. Uh, one little aside, I think it's curious to think about the fact that uh, Jesus would have probably then walked by this guy many times and he never healed him. He left some things for Peter and John to do just like he leaves things for us to do to continue his mission. Well, let's keep reading. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms, as we just said. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. And they said, look at us. I wonder if he was just, you know, free, freely shouting out, oh, you know, I need help. Help me, alms. And maybe he was just kind of, it was just like this droning thing at that time, you know, rattling the can and, and just never really expected much from people. So Peter, they say, hey, look, look up, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said this, he said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Pastor Dave led us through this passage well, a couple Sundays ago. And uh, now, by the way, if you're the guy who's been lame from birth and somebody tells you get up and walk, what are you thinking? Huh? So look at verse seven. So Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. I wonder if you ever do that, you know, you grab somebody's hand, they're sitting on the floor and you grab them and you just pull them up as hard as you can. Remember doing that when you were a kid? 
I wonder if that's kind of what Peter did. And just, he just leapt up. And he stood and he began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I picture like uh, the scarecrow on Wizard of Oz, like learning to walk for the first time, you know? And, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who had sat by the beautiful gate of the temple for, for decades asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, uh, we get to our text here this morning in verse 11, and we pick up right in the middle of the story. Well, he clung to Peter and John. I mean, he just stayed with them the whole time. It'd be like a little kid clinging to their parents walking through Walmart or something, right? He, He just clung to them, and all the people were utterly astounded. They ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. Now, I want to uh, back out here for just a second and explain what that is. Solomon's portico, your translation might say Solomon's porch, might say Solomon's colonnade. It was a place where the early church met. We read about this in the book of Acts. And uh, let me show you this picture. This is a model at the uh, Museum of Israel in Jerusalem, and it's a full-scale model. You can, uh, it's a two-scale model, excuse me, not full-scale. You can get an idea of somebody standing there. And it's of the old city of Jerusalem. And right here you have the Temple Mount. And uh, I have a few more pictures. This gives you an idea a little bit of the city. And uh, this Temple Mount, here's the temple. And there's the inner courts and then the court of the Gentiles, that whole bigger area beyond. And it's likely, by the way, most pe- many people believe, not for sure, but maybe that gate right there was the gate beautiful where he would have laid and then inside of there is the court where uh, men and women who were Jewish could go. And then beyond there, uh, men could, could go in closer. But this whole area, do you see all this, these columns all the way around, this colonnade? This area right up either in here, somewhere along the front to the east, some contend maybe it's around this side over here, was called Solomon's Portico, Solomon's Porch. And so they're at the Temple Mount and imagine, you know, they, they heal this guy. He leaps up walking and he just clings to him and follows him through the crowd and they work their way over to the place where the church often met in the, on the porch, porch church. Well, he clung to them and everyone was astounded and they go to the portico and I just wanna put that image in your mind of where they're at. And when Peter saw it, when he saw everybody following him over, he addressed the people because it was more than just those who had put their faith in Christ at this point. This was whoever was there to worship as a Jewish person, not yet a Christian. And Peter saw it and he addressed the people. He said, men of Israel, why why do you wonder at this? Remember, we just said they were utterly astounded. Why do you stare at us? As like it was by our power or our piety and our own righteousness and self-righteousness that somehow we've made him walk. I like that, by the way. Peter right away as a leader is saying, hey, it's not about me. It's not about me. I I wanna point you to to who it is about, the the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers. He glorified his servant, Jesus. And he's, he's launching in to say, see, Jesus is the one who healed him. But then look what Peter does. Jesus, yeah, you remember that one that you delivered over and you denied in the presence of Pilate? 
Remember Pilate? He wanted to let him go. But you guys delivered him over. Do you remember that? That's what he's saying. He's, he's just going after him, isn't he? He goes, but Pilate wanted to release him, but, but you denied the holy and righteous one. They would have recognized that as, as God, as the Messiah, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, Peter says. You killed God. Yeah, you did. Whom God raised from the dead. That's how I know he was God. God raised him from the dead. He, he rose from the grave. And to this, we're witnesses. See, see me, see John, see the people here who are gathered for church? We're witnesses to the fact that he is risen. He's risen. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man, given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. We didn't do it. It's because of Jesus. And that power comes through faith in him. So after kind of lighting him up, Peter goes, and now brothers, I, look, I know you acted in ignorance. I know when this happened, you didn't know. Neither did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is Christ would suffer, he fulfilled it. So Peter says, repent, therefore. Because of all this, repent, turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that they be forgotten, that they be washed and made clean. He says, repent, therefore, turn back, your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now I'm gonna stop there this morning. We're gonna pick up the rest of chapter three next Sunday. But when Peter says this, he's preaching it, he's reminding them, and he has in mind Jesus' second coming here. Because he says, you know, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ who's appointed for you, namely Jesus, whom heaven must receive, hold on to, until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his prophets long ago. Peter's saying, listen, you need to repent. You need to turn to him so that you can have refreshment and be renewed when uh, the Christ comes again, when, when God sends him again to you. After, at, at which time he's gonna fulfill all the rest of the prophecies he hasn't yet fulfilled. We'll talk about some of that next Sunday. But today I wanna key into what Peter tells them to do. Because I imagine if you're there and you're thinking, we killed the author of life? We murdered God? I was there that day. I was in favor of it. What do I do? Peter answers like he did in his first sermon. Repent. Repent. Well, that's what we want to talk about today and focus in on here. Is this idea of repentance, what, what is it? What does it mean? What does it look like? Sometimes that word is used in our culture and uh, it's used in the sense of like a mea copa. You know what that is? Mea copa is a Latin phrase that um, simply means, ah, my fault, my bad, I was wrong, I messed up. 
it's an acknowledgement of doing wrong. And in our culture, sometimes when we want somebody to repent, we really want them to grovel in their repentance or just disappear from life, don't we? At least our culture does. Now, biblically, repentance involves a mea culpa. I mean, acknowledging our wrong, recognizing we've messed up, but it's a lot more than that. And this morning, we're gonna look at what Peter's saying here, what he's telling them to do to repent and, and what the Bible says repentance is. And I'm, I'm gonna do it in a four-part sentence today. Are you with me? First, repentance is when I recognize my sin. It's when I recognize my sin. This is the mea culpa part. Uh, it's recognizing my sin, my fault, the ways that I've messed up. But even in this recognition part, this realization of my sin, it's more than just kind of a mea culpa. It's more than just, oh, my bad. You're right, I messed up, my fault. Blame me. That one's on me. You know, I mean, that's pretty common, right? Just acknowledging, yeah, I messed up, my fault. No big deal, right? It's more than that. I mean, that's part of it, but it's, it's deeper than that, biblical repentance is. It's not just saying my bad, it's recognizing not just my bad, but my complete and utter brokenness and helplessness. Maybe that feels a bit oppressive or over the top. Complete, utterly helpless, Josh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you might be a pretty good person, right? Pretty good person by the world's standards, but even the best person you know, you, you would say they're, they're pretty good, but they're not what? They're not perfect. You're still a sinner. We've all sinned, including the guy who by God's grace gets to speak to you this morning. We're, we're all messed up, friends. See, uh, Jesus, I believe maybe his best friend on earth, John, writes this. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth not in us. It's incredible. The more you know the truth, the more you understand who Jesus is, the more you understand the depth of your brokenness. It's like this, this gap that just grows further and further apart. If we confess our sins though, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us all our sins and, and not only to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we haven't sinned, we make him a liar and his word isn't in us. You ever hear somebody say, no, I haven't sinned? Nope. That's red flag number one. And it's the last one you need, <laughs> right? Like, cause we've all sinned. We've all messed up. Sometimes you might be tempted to think though, uh, well, I go to church. I'm here today, Josh. That's pretty good, isn't it? That is good. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're watching online. I give, I serve. I, I don't use foul language. Well, at least not out loud or in public. I might think it, but I don't do it that way. Or maybe I'm a leader, you know? I, I might be tempted to think, oh, I'm a pastor. But you know, none of those things matter. The reality is our sin, our brokenness, friends, it runs deep, it's, it's complete. It's, it's, it's our very nature. See, if you might be tempted to think maybe because of your position or your actions that 
or your pedigree that somehow you're maybe better. Paul addresses this in Romans chapter three. He says, what then? Are we Jews better off? No, not at all. For we've already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, See, uh, there's Jews and then there's Greeks or Gentiles, those who are not Jewish. Put them together, who do you have? Everybody. We're all under sin. As it's written. And here he quotes then from Isaiah, none, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, of snakes, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their, their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they haven't known. Like those sound like some bad people. Guess who Paul's applying that to? All of us, you and me. There's no fear of God before their eyes. And Paul comes back and in Romans three and he says, now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. In other words, the purpose of the law in the Old Testament is, and it does it well, is to reveal how sinful we are. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Because what's God's standard? It's perfection, you can't do enough since through the, the law comes knowledge of sin. Then a couple of verses later, he says this, there's, there's no distinction. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. See, your sin and my sin, man, it runs deep. In fact, each of us are more sinful than we ever feared. We're more messed up than we ever feared. Think of yourself on your worst day, your greatest acknowledgement of your brokenness. The reality is that in our sin, it's, it's much worse than that. It's part of our nature. Prophet Isaiah said, we've all become like one who's unclean and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. This is a curious phrase, our righteous deeds, our good works to God are like a polluted garment. Um, what he's referring to there literally means like a, a, a dirty menstrual rag, a dirty tampon. That's our good stuff. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind. Our iniquities, they take us away. There is no one who calls on your name who rouses himself to take hold of you. For you've hidden your face from us. You've made us melt in the hand of our iniquity. See, friends, uh, repentance begins with acknowledging my sin, recognizing my sin, and not just my actions, but my utter brokenness. 
Martin Luther, uh, you know, he nailed the 95 theses to the door of the church over in Germany. Do you know what his first one was? Let me read it. It said this. Uh, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent in Matthew 4, 17, he willed that the entire life of believers, your whole life, would be one of repentance, of recognizing your sinfulness. That, that's why he says it. He's saying like, it, it doesn't matter if I'm repenting for the first time or the 10,000th time, if I don't recognize really how deeply broken I am, it's unlikely I'm ever gonna turn to Jesus for help. I'm just gonna go to myself for help or whatever self-medicates me. It's until I'm on my back, on my face, helpless that I recognize, you know what, I really need a savior. I can't do it. Have you been there? Recognizing my sin isn't just saying my bad, it's, it's my complete brokenness and it's, it's true remorse. True conviction that the Holy Spirit brings. See, my brokenness leads to, to deep conviction of sin. You ever just have that well up in you? Like there's this physical reaction even when you recognize sometimes how sinful you are or ways you've messed up. If you haven't, think back to when you're a kid and you were caught in a lie. <laughs> and somebody was coming home to deal with it. The psalmist says, I confess my iniquity. I'm sorry for my sin. And we prayed earlier, uh, we prayed, praise God, and then we repented. We confessed our sin to him. And he knows a lot more of your sin than you even know yourself and that I even know myself. Second uh, Corinthians tells us, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief, yeah, my bad, it produces death. I'll give away a bit, really, the rest of the sermon here. What this means is that a true godly grief results in not just a sense of, of grief in my spirit, but in repentance and a change of behavior and a change of my mind. It, it starts in my thinking. Let's get to the second part of our sentence. Repentance is when I recognize my sin and I see it the way God sees it. Not just the way I see it. I don't know about you, I'm pretty easy on myself as it relates to my sin. I think I'm not that bad, right? I never say that out loud other than now you get to hear me saying it because I'm preaching. But we think it, don't we, sometimes? If we're brutally honest. But the reality is when I see my sin as God sees it, I recognize it's my fault, it's my responsibility. I quit going, oh yeah, but they, they did this and made me. No, no, I take responsibility. I'm at fault. See, Acts 3, let's go back to our text in Acts 3. Uh, Peter just told them, you know, that they had, uh, they're, they're like, you think we made him walk? We didn't do it. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate. Peter's pointing out their sin and they're recognizing it. They're beginning to see their sin of rejecting Jesus the way God sees it. Jesus says there's one sin for which you can never be forgiven. You remember this in Matthew? 
He says it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit uh, does every, in everything he does, he glorifies Jesus Christ. And so one of his primary works is to bring you and I to repentance and belief in Jesus Christ. And so when I reject that, when I blaspheme him, when I ignore him in that manner, I'm just like the people Peter's preaching to here and I'm, I'm delivering Jesus over, I'm rejecting him. And for that, I can never be forgiven. I can be forgiven of anything else, everything, literally everything else, but rejecting Jesus Christ. See, you delivered him over and denied him in the presence of Pilate and, and he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one. You denied him and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You, you blasphemed the Holy Spirit and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. That's how we know he's the author of life. And to this, we're all witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I, I know, he said. Because I wonder if they're thinking, yeah, but we, but we didn't know. We, I didn't, we didn't know. It's not our fault. How can you say it's our fault? I didn't know. Peter's like, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But, this is a big but in scripture. You might wanna circle it. Here's what he means. You may have acted in ignorance, but that's no excuse. See, you have responsibility with no excuse. There are no excuses. I don't feel that way anymore. I don't want to do that anymore. No, there's no excuse. See, uh, he says, but God, what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. And guess how he did it? Through, he, he did it as, through your sin. You're like, well, hold on. How does that work? You're telling me that it's my fault, but it was God's purpose. So doesn't that mean God made me sin? No. See, God's ways are bigger and higher than your ways and my ways. and They're hard to understand, but, and he's sovereign and in control of all things. But hear this. Every time God's sovereignty is presented in the Bible, it's never at the expense of our responsibility. Now, sometimes logically in my brain, I wanna argue for myself and say, well, yeah, but that's not my fault. It wasn't me. No, it was. I am guilty. Because those two things can be true at the same time. God is perfectly sovereign and I'm totally responsible. And that's what Peter's saying here. See, repentance, when I see my sin and I see it the way God sees it, I see that he's in control, I see that he's sovereign, but I see that it's my responsibility and there's no excuses. So what do I do? I need to repent and turn so that my sins could be blotted out. Here's where repentance starts. Repentance is a change of mind. It's seeing it the way God sees it. It's a change of mind. In fact, the, the, the word underneath that English word in the New Testament in Greek means literally just changing your mind. 
for example, Paul writes to Timothy and he tells him to correct people with gentleness and to correct their sin, but do it gently so that God might perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, this change of mind that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil. You know, that's a good prayer for people who are caught in sin. God, would you just help them come to their senses? Would you bring them around? Somehow, I can't convince them. Bring them to their senses. See, so it begins with a change of mind, but it's more than just that intellectual assent. Repentance, part three here. See, it's, it's when I recognize my sin, see it the way God sees it, and I turn to Jesus. It's not just my mind, it's also my actions. It's also the direction of my life. See, the, it's curious. The word in the New Testament used for repent means a change of mind. The word in the Old Testament in Hebrew used for repent, you know what it means? Turn. <laughs> to turn, to do a 180. And how do you do that? Well, you do it by faith. It's by faith. You can't do it on your own. You need Jesus to actually help you repent. Just like he, he helped this man walk and his name, by faith in his name, made this man strong. Abraham, remember him in the Old Testament? Let's turn back to the Old Testament. Abraham believed the Lord and what did God do? He counted it to him as righteousness. He forgave him just by faith, by believing. Or how about uh, later in Acts chapter 15, we, we read that God made no distinction. He cleansed their hearts by how? faith. There's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace through a redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood, taking uh, the wrath of sin on the cross for me. And how do I get that? How do I repent? How do I receive it and turn? I receive it by faith. Turning is by faith. Last but not least here, Romans 5. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access. How? By faith. Friends, in the same way, the way you turn is by faith. Trusting God. Trusting Christ in all of this. And it results in a change of direction. It's a change of direction. You put your faith in Christ and, and you turn. And it's in that order, by the way. It's not you turn and then put your faith in Christ, that's religion. Turn, get yourself cleaned up, figure it all out. No, it's you put your faith in Christ and turn, kind of all is one, all is one action in a sense, and then you begin to walk in a new direction. You might think of repentance like this, both repentance in terms of coming to faith in Christ and that ongoing repentance like Luther talked about. And it might make sense here, uh, see if I can illustrate it. Uh, a short story, a short poem by a woman named Portia Nelson called uh, My Autobiography in Five Short Chapters. Here it is, chapter one. She said, I walk down the street there's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I'm lost. I'm helpless. It isn't my fault. 
it takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I still don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place. It isn't my fault. And it still takes a long time to get out. Chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. This time I see it there, but I still fall in. It's a habit. It is my fault. I know where I am. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. This time I walk around it. Chapter five. I walk down a different street. Friends, that's repentance, isn't it? I fall in sin, I get stuck, I get caught. It takes a long time to get out. I, I might even do it again and again until finally I, I get stuck there and I'm like, wait a second, I, I saw this coming this time. Why did I do this again? And so I work to get out. I, I cry out to Jesus to help me get out. And maybe I go down that road again and I, I see these things coming, only this time, all by God's grace, he helps me kind of tiptoe around the outside and not fall in that hole again. And I can go on celebrating and avoiding that sin. But at some point, when I've truly repented, I realize, you know what? That's really dumb to keep going down that street. I'm going down this street and I go a different direction. That's repentance. It's a change of mind, it's recognizing my sin, and it's also a change in direction. It's accompanied with action. Uh, James tells us that uh, if anyone is a hearer in, of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. He says right before that, be doers of the word, not hearers only. Be doers of the word. And then uh, part four, repentance is when I recognize my sin, I, I see it the way God sees it, I turn to Jesus, and then finally I receive forgiveness. I receive forgiveness. My sins are blotted out, prophet Isaiah says, and this is what Peter had said, right? He said, repent so that you're, your sins may be blotted out. He's quoting there from Isaiah. Come now, God says, let us reason. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Did you see the snow this morning when you got up? Do you notice how it covered everything? And if it got to be enough, you wouldn't be able to even see the ground, would you? You wouldn't see the brown dirt. You wouldn't see the green grass. You wouldn't see anything under it. What would you see? Pure, blinding, white purity. See, uh, when the Lord forgives you, when you repent, uh, your sins are like scarlet, but they're going to be made white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they become like 
whoa. And that's what Peter means when he says, then there's true refreshing. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that you may receive times of refreshing that would come upon you from the presence of the Lord. The prophet Ezekiel says, listen, when you repent, there's coming a time I'm gonna give you new hearts. I'm gonna give it a new spirit to put in you that'll be faithful to me, God says. Uh, I'll be your God, you'll be my people. And friends, that's repentance. It's, It's when I recognize my sin. It's when I see it the way God sees it when I turn to Jesus and then receive his forgiveness. Now, uh, this morning, we're gonna close here by celebrating communion together. And so those of you who are gonna pass out the elements, maybe you can start doing that now. As we celebrate communion, what we're celebrating is the fact that we have unity together and unity with Jesus because of his goodness, because of him blotting out our sins and and giving us refreshment. Now, this is something that that symbolizes his death, his burial, his resurrection, and us putting our faith in him. So if if you haven't made that choice, if you haven't repented and turned to Christ, we're glad you're here, but don't take communion. Because this is an outward expression of something that's happened inwardly in our hearts. Or if there's sin maybe you need to repent of, repent and then take communion. And by the way, if you've never trusted Jesus, if you do it today, join us in communion. But as uh, the elements get passed out, uh, just hold on to those. We're gonna sing, and then uh, we'll take the elements after we sing, and uh, then Pastor Dave will come and close our time this morning.